Our series this summer is called Spirit-Filled Family Living. And as I've been telling you week after week, we're talking about a whole new way of living. Good marriages, good families, and even meaningful lives don't just happen because the stars line up right. I think a lot of people have the feeling if they can just put all the pieces of life together, they'll have good lives, good marriages, good families. But that doesn't happen because you just accidentally fall into a good situation. Good lives are really good harvests. Good marriages are good harvests. Good families are good harvests that come from sowing good seed. And so I want us to go back to the Word of God. And we've, we've been uh, reading the same scripture week after week. And I hope you're not getting tired of it because I'm going to preach it to us until we really get it down. You say, Pastor, do you think we're just ignorant? Is that why you keep repeating it? Not at all. It's just that the world and even a lot of the things that we've heard in the Christian community have conditioned us to think a different way than I believe God wants us to think. So I just want to keep us in, in this scripture until it settles into our spirit. And today I'd like to uh, give you a little broader context. I've been giving you Galatians chapter 6 verse 8. And then last week we added verse 9. This week I'd like to go a little earlier and pick up verse 7. We'll look at all three verses together. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 9. This is our principle. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction or death. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing or in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest. At the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Our principle tells us about two ways to sow the seeds of life. We can either sow to the Spirit, which is the voice of God, the message of God, the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is saying to us, the Holy Spirit's judgments. We can either sow our seed to the Spirit. If we do, we will reap a harvest of life. Or we can sow our seeds of life, our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes, Toward our fleshly nature, what our flesh tells us to do, and if we do, we will reap a harvest of death. Show me a bad marriage, and at least one person has been sowing to the flesh because there's a death. You show me a bad family, or a problem, a family that has a lot of problems in it, uh, and I don't mean just a family that encounters problems, but I mean a family that's just in shambles, and I'll show you a family where at least one person has been sowing to the flesh. And what we want to do this summer is to learn how we can all sow to the Spirit of God so that we can have a harvest of life. And I may be preaching to somebody and say, Pastor, wait a minute, I have a lot of problems in my family. Is there no hope for me? There's all the hope in the world. If you will buy into what the Spirit of God is telling you, you can have a great family. You can have a great marriage. You say, Pastor, we've had 30 years of bad marriage. All right, start tomorrow to sow good seeds. Start today to sow good seeds, and then you'll begin to have a harvest a blessing. It will happen. It's never too late to obey God. It's never too, too late to put God's word into practice in your lives. Now, got to be honest with you. I am just picking up where I left off last week. Uh, we we're just taking the baton pass from last Sunday morning. I began to show you what a life looks like from the Bible of an individual who will sow to the spirit. I'm a big believer in Bible precedent. I believe you can go to the word of God and you can find any principle born out in the lives of the individuals that are there. God didn't tell their stories just to interest us with the, with the happenings in someone's lives. These stories are there 
Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, these stories are there for our instruction. So we want to go back to the Bible and find the life of someone who sowed to the Spirit and see what happened in his life. Now, the reason why I picked this individual out is that he had a lot of challenges in his life. A lot of people can say, Pastor, I've just had so many problems in my life. I don't know if this is possible for me. Well, I've deliberately gone back to find a guy who had problem after problem after problem. But as he encountered these problems, he deliberately chose to sow to the Spirit of God. His name, of course, is Joseph. We just began last week, and I'm not going to spend any more time in in introduction because, again, as I say, we are picking up right where we left off with sowing to the Spirit, part two. And I got to be honest with you again. I'm not going to get through today. It's next Sunday morning. Guess what I'm going to preach? Sowing to the Spirit, part three. So uh, today we're looking at part two. Before we get started with uh, the new material today, let's back up for a moment and see if we can remember what we learned last week. We looked at the life of Joseph, and here's what we began to learn. We discovered that Christians often sow bad seed at the point of two reactions. And I stress the word reaction because, see, I, I really am convinced the, the, the Satan gets believers, Christians, with our reactions. The first reaction that he often gets is to drop bad seed uh, in the ground in response to is the reaction, I, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. Uh, we, have, we encounter something in life. We think, I don't, I don't deserve this. I deserve better than this. And uh, you know how it is. We have a sort of exaggerated sense of justice and injustice when we're thinking about the things that happen to us. But uh, I want to just be real frank with you today. Do you know what we deserve? You know what we really deserve? We all deserve to die and go to the lake of fire and spend eternity there. That is what we deserve. And so let us never feel like we're, we're getting a bad deal in life. Because we, as sinners, the Word of God makes it very clear, that is what we deserve. Somebody could say, Pastor Hoover, I think I deserve better than that. Well, then read Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Read Romans 3.10. There is none righteous, no, not one. Read Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. And that spiritual death, eternal death there. That is what we deserve. But there's just something within our human spirits. If someone treats us in a fashion that we think we don't deserve, well, we react to that often. And frankly, that's at the point uh, where we drop a lot of bad seed in the ground. The second reaction, and this is the one that gets me, is I, don't, I didn't expect this. We, we perform a series of actions or, or thoughts in our life, and we think we have a certain expectation that we, can, we, can, we, we, we just expect this is going to happen or that's going to happen. But then life throws us a curve. And we're dealing with this problem that we didn't expect. And, and frankly, I, I stress the reaction thing because that is where Satan gets many of us. I don't think the average Christian wakes up in the morning planning to sow bad seed in their lives, in their marriages, in their families. I mean, if you're saved, if you're born again, I, I really believe when you wake up in the morning, you want to please the Lord. I don't think you get up thinking, wow, how can I sabotage my marriage today? I don't think you get up in the morning and say, just, just how many ways can I mess up my relationship with my kids? I don't think we, we think in that fashion. But something happens. There was some sort of stimulus that we didn't expect, we didn't encounter, we don't think we deserve. And before we realize it, we drop a lot of bad seed in the ground. That's how I think Christians do it. But whether or not we intended to sow it, bad seed is bad seed, and it will still lead to a bad harvest because seed is seed. Case in point, consider Moses. 
Do you think he got up one morning, picked up his rod, and said, I feel like slapping the rock today? I don't think so. You know that didn't happen. I mean, Moses didn't get up and say, you know, these people, these Israelites, they just bother me to pieces. They're always criticizing me and blaming me for things. It's their fault. And when they get after me today, I'm just going to pick up my rod and slug the rock that Paul tells us is a type of Christ. You know that didn't happen. The children of Israel gave him one of those I don't deserve this moments and he sowed to the flesh. But my point, church, is that the harvest was still the harvest. Amen. He didn't intend to do it. He did it in a moment of reaction, but he didn't get to go to the promised land. He dropped bad seed in the ground as a response. I don't think Elijah got up one morning and said, well, I'm just going to get depressed and tell God I'm going to check out on him and ask God to let me die. No, Jezebel got after him. He said, I don't deserve this. I didn't expect this. And the next moment he's cratering before God. Now, my question for us is, Does that ever happen in our families? Does that ever happen in your marriage? Does that ever happen in your life? You didn't intend to drop bad seed in the ground. You didn't wake up expecting to do it. Just something happened. And before you knew it, you were reacting and dropping bad seed in the ground. Can I get a witness? Does that happen to us? Well, our our hero, Joseph, is going to get a lot of these. I don't deserve this and I didn't expect this moments. But to my thinking, that's what makes Joseph special because he stood in there at the plate and didn't swing at any of the devil's pitches. And because of that, we're going to school on him today. Last Sunday, we saw that his brothers, in in the first vignette from his life, we saw that his brothers hated him, wanted to kill him, threw him in a pit, and then decided to make a few bucks on him by selling him as a slave. And we asked the question, what would a person's flesh tell him to do at such a moment? And the answer came back, Someone's flesh would say, become a perpetual victim. You have been victimized, so therefore, you are now a member of a victim class. And whatever happens to you in life, you can point back to your brothers and say, it's their fault. They did it to me. But we saw that Joseph refused. If if life dictated to him that he had to be a slave, then Joseph would bloom where he was planted. And he would wait on God to bring him out. And we also noted that Joseph did not confuse a temporary setback with his final destination. See, that is where Satan gets so many of us. When we have a storm, like Alicia sang about a moment ago, when we have one of those storms, we can say, well, this is my ultimate destination. This must be what I'm going to have to encounter in life. So if then I am going to be living in a storm, then how do I react to the storm? What we must understand is that the storms of life are temporary. Joseph did not confuse the pit, or the prison, or the house of slavery. Joseph did not confuse those with the final destination, with his final harvest. Well, we know the story. We we closed with it last week. Joseph went from being just a bought slave in the house of Potiphar. Time out for a moment. Potiphar was the equivalent of our joint chiefs of staff, or or the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff. He was the top soldier in Egypt. And Egypt ruled the world. So what happened? Isn't that amazing? Joseph winds up a slave, a bought and paid for slave in the house of the top military man in Egypt. But while he was there, God began to bless him. And he just rose him through the ranks. Until one day, Joseph became the chief of staff in Potiphar's house. 
Potiphar entrusted everything in his estate to Joseph. Nothing happened that didn't get Joseph's permission. Not a dollar was spent or whatever their currency was. Not not a piece of money was spent without Joseph's approval. Joseph ran the place. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here's the thing. Joseph could have become a perpetual victim. Wouldn't he have missed out on God's blessing? He said, okay, I'm a slave. I'm in Egypt. I'm in a strange country. Don't speak the language. Don't don't, don't look like the Egyptians. I don't know their customs. But he goes down there and he decides to sow to the spirit. God says, all right, I'm just going to rise you through the ranks until he now is a very powerful man. No problems. Everything's fine, right? How many of you have discovered that as soon as you meet one challenge, there's a fresh one waiting for you? Say, oh, if I can just get there, if I can just get to this plateau and get this done, I'll be there. Well, guess what's waiting for you when you get there? Another challenge. And this time, it was a whole different kind of attack. Read with me, please. We're going to be in Genesis 39. These verses will be up on the IMAG as well. Genesis 39, verse 5. So he left, this is Potiphar, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So as it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now, church, we need to focus here so that we don't miss something really important. This time, the attack from Joseph's fleshly nature takes the form of an opportunity. There's an opportunity here. His flesh is presenting him with an opportunity. He has presented the kind of opportunity that the Hollywood plots revolve around. He has the kind of opportunity that the guys at the office smirk about. And consider the challenge that he faces here. This is a totally different kind of challenge than he faced when his brothers sold him. When Listen, think about this for a moment. And, and the reason why I want to stress this, because see, here's the thing. You deal with one area of your flesh and you get victory over it. Guess what? Your flesh will pop up over here with something totally different. With his brothers, the problem came because he was rejected. They rejected him and his flesh reacted to that rejection. But this time with Potiphar's wife, the problem came from a malignant form of acceptance. And so now his flesh is going to take the opposite attack point. First of all, he was rejected by his brothers. He has to deal with that. How is he going to sow to the spirit in a time when he's being rejected? Now he's not being rejected. He's being pursued. There is a malignant form of acceptance going on here. And now, how is he going to sow to the Spirit? See, church, I'm just preaching this to us so that we will understand that we must be on guard every day of our lives, every moment of our lives, with everything that life presents to us. Now Joseph has an opportunity. 
He's a good-looking guy. He's a single guy, a long way from home. Nobody he knows is watching, and a woman comes on to him. At first, the first time it happened, he could have charged it up to flirtation, but it keeps on and on and goes on day after day. And there's no mistaking what this woman wants now. What does Joseph's flesh say? Hey, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know this one. His flesh says, give in. And without beating around the bush, let's just tell it like it is. I am sure that there were several subtexts to that message. The first subtext was, you will enjoy this. Hey, that is what's behind sexual temptation in our world today. Satan comes along, gives us the stimulus. Our flesh comes along and says, you will enjoy this. And I'm sure Joseph heard that message. You will enjoy this. And then the flesh said, you know, Joseph, you deserve this. Think about what you've been through. You know, you haven't had an easy time. I mean, you know, there ought to be special allowances made for somebody who's gone through what you've gone through. Your brothers hated you and you didn't expect to be here. And here you are in Egypt and you're out of your culture and all this. You deserve this. This is just one of life's serendipities. You deserve this. See, there are a lot of people, a lot of Christian people who get involved in sexual immorality through a form of rationalization. I, listen, I, as crazy as it sounds, I have, I have talked to people in my office, husbands who are involved with a woman who is not his wife, wife involved with a man who's not her husband. I have had those people look at me and say, God brought this person into my life. Boys and girls, can you say nuts? Rationalization. But I, I feel sure Joseph's flesh said, hey, buddy, you deserve this. I want, every, I want every Christian man to be listening with everything you have right now. I am sure his flesh told him, number three, this will feed your ego. This will feed your ego. I want to take some time here this morning. In our wicked and immoral culture, Christian homes and Christian lives are being absolutely torn apart by illicit sex. They tell us today that over 50% of marriages end in divorce, and it's probably worse than that because a lot of people just live together and don't bother to get married. But I'll tell you what's behind most divorces is adultery in some fashion. Not every time, but most of the time. And whatever the problem started out as, it will usually manifest itself as adultery before the marriage breaks up. Now, that's one thing to say. But there were years ago in the Christian community, there was a wide divergence between the statistics in the world at large and the Christian community. Now there's practically little difference between the world at large and what goes on in the Christian community. See, here's the thing. There are a lot of people who dress up and look the part of Christians and come to church on Sunday morning, but they're sleeping around during the week. Let me just tell it like it is. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why is Satan so successful here? And somebody will come back and say, well, pastor, it's real easy. It's temporary gratification. It's immediate gratification. Well, maybe so. But I tell you, after years of pastoring and counseling, I have come to believe that it's more than that. I don't, and I know this may sound crazy at first, and perhaps it is, but let me just tell you what I think. I really don't think that most adultery is primarily about sex. It is a vehicle, it's a problem, but I just don't think that most adultery is about sex itself. I believe that men and women often fall into adultery 
for different reasons, usually with women. See, here's the thing. God has made a woman so that there is a desire for, for closeness, for affirmation, for tenderness, for affection, for value. That is why, and I'll be preaching this later in the series, that is why the Bible says, husbands, value your wives, treat them with value. Because God has made every woman with the need to be valued, to be affirmed. And so here is a wife who perhaps does not feel valued, does not feel affirmed by her husband. And there's some guy down at the office who understands her. By the way, ladies, let me just be real frank with you. If there's somebody down at the office, there's some guy down there who understands you like your husband does. He doesn't understand his wife. And men are predatory. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be insulting at all, but if you fall for that, you're not overly bright. Just telling it like it is. Now, God has made every man with the need for respect. Now, the, the wrong extreme of that is what we call male ego sometimes. But God has created every man with the need for respect. And so when a man feels that he's not respected enough, and there's a woman who begins to flirt with him, and she gives him respect and looks up to him and compliments him. By the way, she doesn't do that to her husband at home. Amen? And fella, I want to tell you, you may be a smart guy in the eyes of the world, but if you fall for that, you're not overly bright. And could I just take a moment to just keep going with this? Because here's the thing. Husband, let me tell you something. If you don't affirm your wife, if you don't value value your wife, if you don't treat her with love and warmth and affection, you are leaving a vulnerability there. Now, you may be married to a godly wife who would be like Joseph and never fall, but you are creating a vulnerability. And wife, if you're one who is always picking at your husband and putting him down and not respecting him while you are pointing your finger in his face and putting him down with one hand, you're opening the door to an illicit relationship with the other. I'm just saying to you, I don't know that most adultery is about sex within itself. I think there are needs, emotional needs within men and women. And Satan comes along and says, if you get into this relationship, it will fill your deepest needs. And I'm sure Joseph's flesh sung this song to him. This will feed your ego. Then I think his flesh also told him, number four, it won't matter. It won't matter. Nobody will ever know. You're a long way from home. Your dad's not around. Your family's not around. There's no church around. Nobody to see you. It won't matter. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make any sound? Nobody will ever know. You can get by with this. But let me tell you something, friend. I really believe God will see to it that it comes out. You may be, you say, well, I'm a Christian pastor and I, I know the Bible. I know God will forgive me, but I just play around a little bit. Let me tell you something, sir. It will come out. There is a God in heaven. And our text says this. Our text says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And I'm preaching about this because, see, I I really believe in a lot of pulpits today, there's not much preaching like this. And Christian people who sit in the pews of churches 
have, many of them have lives that are not godly in this area. There are single people whose lives, I mean, they come and they worship God in church, but then when, when the rest of the week, they're not right with God in this area. I just think we need to be honest about it. Amen? But let's focus on the positive today because we are looking at a man who did not sow to his flesh. He sowed to the Spirit. We have seen what Joseph's flesh told him. But what did the Spirit of God say? By the way, that's really important. In Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus is talking to the churches seven times, our Lord makes this statement. Think about this. Seven times. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Can you hear what the Spirit says? If you're God's child, you have the Spirit within you. Are you listening to the Spirit of God? What is the Spirit of God saying? So here's Joseph. He's going in the house. This woman keeps flirting with him. And now she's grabbed his cloak. We know what his flesh is saying to Joseph. But what would the Spirit be saying to Joseph? And this is fantastic. And please hear me with all your heart. Here's the first thing we see from our text. The Holy Spirit told him that our actions have a bearing on the lives of innocent people. So where do you see that, Pastor? Look at Genesis 39, verses 8 and 9. And he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? Listen to me, church. In this moment, when Potiphar's wife was tempting Joseph and his flesh had to be screaming at Joseph to give in, Joseph heard a message from God about the vulnerability of Potiphar. Did you catch that? Here was a man who trusted Joseph. He had promoted him. And what Joseph realized was that Potiphar was vulnerable here and a man who loved him and had been good to him in a moment of vulnerability, he was being tempted. And Joseph, I love the question Joseph asked. Joseph said, how can I do this? How can I do this? Husbands, fathers, life will present you situations where you have an opportunity to sin and your flesh will cry out to do that. But can you hear the Holy Spirit telling you that your actions have a bearing on the lives of innocent people? That you have a wife. You have children who look up to you. Listen, when you walk out into the concourse of life to conduct your affairs, please understand, husband, father, you're not just going out there by yourself. You are taking your wife and your children with you. I am burdened sometimes because of the lack of responsibility that I see in Christian men thinking about themselves and not considering the actions that that they take have a bearing on the lives of their innocent children. And it isn't just husbands, it's wives. Your actions have a bearing on your husband, on your children. There are singles here today who say, Pastor, I'm single. I'm footloose and fancy free. I can do whatever I want to do and it doesn't matter to anybody. What your actions are have a bearing on your parents, your grandparents, the person you're going to marry someday. Your actions have a bearing on somebody else. And it just isn't in this area of sexual temptation, but it can also be in areas of anger and, and, and truth and not telling the truth. 
So let us well understand the message of the Holy Spirit that our actions have a bearing on the lives of innocent people. Then number two, the Holy Spirit reminded Joseph, I like this, the Holy Spirit reminded Joseph that he was on a journey of divine blessing. There was an odyssey of blessing going on in his life. You say, Pastor, where do you get that? Look at verses 8 and 9. Middle of verse 8. My master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. Look at this. There is no one greater in this house than I. Now, that's a pretty strong statement to make. Especially for a boy who was thrown into a pit by his brothers. That's a powerful statement for a man to make who was going to be murdered by his own flesh and blood. What's he saying? I mean, Joseph is giving testimony to what God has done in his life. He understood about sowing and reaping. He knew enough about divine favor to know that he was under it and he didn't want to lose it. Hey, do you understand favor? If you are God's child, pleasing God, you are walking, you are living your life under divine favor. That means God will bless you in ways that the world won't understand. And let me say to you today, the only way for any child of God to lose divine favor is to betray a trust. Joseph knew that, and he didn't want to give away that favor. I don't want to put words in Joseph's mouth, but I think what he was saying is, Mrs. Potiphar, you may be beautiful, and my flesh may be screaming for me to give in, but I'm on a journey of blessing, and I cannot afford to lose the harvest that God has for me. Where are, the, where are God's people who will say that today? I'm on a journey of blessing. Yeah, my flesh is crying out for me to drop uh, wrong seed and spirit, uh, uh, fleshly seed into the ground, but I'm not going to do it because I'm on a journey that's got a divine harvest. Thanks, but no thanks. Number three, and don't take this one too lightly. He heard the Spirit's judgment on what Potiphar's wife was suggesting. Now, you can tell the story of Joseph without mentioning that it's a Bible story. You can start telling about a guy that works in a house and and the owner's wife begins to flirt with him and come on to him, and he's a single guy. You know, what, you know what the average response in America would be today? People grin about that kind of thing. I mean, that's what's behind a lot, a lot of the comedy and sitcoms today on television, just this kind of story. People just kind of laugh and smirk about it, even Christian people. And let us never forget that what we, what we find humorous today, we will find acceptable tomorrow. But Joseph isn't laughing because he's got God's take on this. This is in Genesis 39, verse, 30, verse 9. How, how is Joseph going to, how is he going to uh, identify what is going on here? What kind of language is he going to use to tell Mrs. Potiphar what he thinks about what she is suggesting? Genesis 39, verse 9. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know, people, they call this fooling around or flirting or whatever. Joseph said, this is wickedness. This is wickedness. We need to remember God has a judgment on these things, folks. And Joseph said, I can't do this great wickedness. So at this moment, Joseph is dropping spiritual seed into the soil of his life. You say, Pastor, all he did was to say no. That's what Jesus did with Satan. The flesh has spoken. The spirit has spoken. Joseph has chosen to listen to the spirit. But as I close out the message today, i got to tell you something. Joseph isn't going to get his harvest yet. The seed's not going to come up right now. In fact, instead of everything turning out okay, Joseph is about to face his third challenge.
Read with me, Genesis 39, verse 12. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he hath brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I had lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused, and you can imagine that it would be. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and there he was there in the prison. In the prison. You know, we want a happy ending, don't we? We want it to come quickly. We want a happy ending where after Joseph sows the spiritual seed, everything works out. But I want us to take just a few moments to look at what happened to him. He winds up in prison. And I want us to think about what Joseph's flesh might have told him after Potiphar's wife told this lie on him. Because let me ask you a question. How do you react in a time of injustice? How do you react when you do right? And good doesn't come from it immediately. I think the first thing Joseph's flesh would have said to him was turn into an angry, hostile person. You have been mistreated. You have a right now to be hostile. And I've got to hurry because I know we're out of time. I think the second thing his flesh would have told him is from now on, resent all authority figures. I have seen people like that when they do the right thing and authorities mistreat them. From that moment on, they resent all authority in their lives. The third thing is the idea that God can't be trusted. The idea that God can't be trusted. You see what I mean? Joseph's flesh is hitting on him from every direction. But what does he do? I want you to look once again at Genesis 39 verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and he showed him mercy and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did The Lord made it to prosper. So here's Joseph. Sold by his brothers, but he doesn't become a perpetual victim. He walks with God. He follows the Holy Spirit. What happened? God promotes him in the house of Potiphar until he's over everything. But then the the flesh comes and tempts him with Potiphar's wife. What does Joseph do? He follows the Holy Spirit. He stands tall. He doesn't fall into sin. He winds up in jail. What does he do at that moment? He picks up his mop and goes to work. Because Joseph was thinking like this. I'm on a journey with God. I'm not to my destination yet. I am waiting on my harvest. I have planted the seed. My harvest is coming. And it did. When he was 29 years old, Joseph became, in effect, the most powerful man in the world. Not too bad for a guy of 29 But here was a guy who walked with the Spirit and sowed to the Spirit at every point in his life. He is on a journey with God. He will get his harvest. Let's bow our heads for prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I thank you today for what we've learned in your word.
And I just ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and teach us what you want us to know. Oh, Father, I ask that if there is anyone here today who is struggling with the temptations of the flesh, and I guess in in that regard we all are, but, oh, Father, may we hear the voice of the Spirit reminding us that our actions have a bearing in the lives of innocent people, that you have a judgment against sin, that you're going to bless those who will sow to the Spirit in the temptation of the flesh. And I just ask, God, that you will help us, even for those today who are going through tough times. They've done the right things, Lord. They've been faithful to you, but even after that, they haven't reaped their harvest. I pray, God, that you'll remind them that we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Oh, God, help us to sow to the Spirit in our relationships with our wives or children. Even for those today, God, marriage may never be part of your will for their lives. Perhaps singleness is your perfect plan for them. God, I pray that they will realize the importance of, of their lives sowing to the Spirit, that you could bring them to a place of great blessing, a harvest of great blessing. Help us to be faithful with that. Lord, if there's someone here today who's never trusted Jesus, may today be the day of salvation. God, if there's someone here that you've led to unite with this church, I pray, oh Father, that today would be the day when they would respond and say yes to take their place with the family of the faithful. Lord, for those who just have a prayer need, may have nothing at all to do with the sermon, but they just want to bow before you. Would you hear their prayers in Jesus' name? Amen. Would you just stand quietly to your feet now? No one disturbing in any way. This is the most important part of the service. If God is speaking to you about anything, you slip out of your seat. Make your, if you have a decision to make, I'll be right here at the front. You can come tell me and we'll rejoice together. God bless you.